I'm, I'm going to read um, from these passages, but I'm going to dip in and out a little bit. So do follow along, uh, but I'm going to say a few thoughts as we go through. So G- Gospel of John 4, verse 1 to 30. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. We'll pause a sec there. He didn't really have to. Actually, it was geographically the best way to go. It was the quickest way to get from where he was to where he was going. But actually, most strict Jews at the time would not have made the choice that Jesus did. They would have gone round. They would have gone either west or east and gone round. Because actually, the people of Samaria, they saw them as inferior, as outcasts, as rejects. They didn't like them very much. They definitely didn't want to be seen associating with them. So actually, Jesus, by doing this, as somebody who was a candidate for Messiah, somebody who was going around teaching and preaching, it was not a very good move. But actually, Jesus was being intentional. Jesus had an appointment to keep. He had a plan. Let's go back in at verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. That one, by the way, answers the age-old question, how many disciples does it take to buy lunch? Apparently all of them. And, uh, you know, this woman going there at noon is also quite significant. It is an interesting thing to look at. It, back then, they would have gone in groups at the very start or the very end of the day. Two reasons for that, really. One, it was really hot. Um, and two, it was a social occasion. It was a place of safety if you're going in a larger group. So just immediately, in, to the listeners, especially at the time, we would have we'd have recognized that actually this was a bit weird, that she was on her own at noon. We'd already, start, we'd already start to build a picture that maybe this woman was a reject, maybe that she was a shame and a disgrace to her family, maybe she didn't have very many friends. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There's no doubt in my mind that when she turned up to this well and saw this Jewish man sitting there, she was like, oh, great. This is exactly why I came at noon. I didn't want anyone to be here, and I definitely did not want a Jewish man to be there. And then Jesus goes and makes it even worse and interacts with her. He asks her a question. More than that, he asks her for a drink. It very likely took her off guard. She's probably there thinking, why are you talking to me? Please stop. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. When I first read this, I was kind of like, classic JC. This guy's great. This guy's so cool. He uses metaphors. He's saying all these cool words. This living water, I'm in. For her, she's like, this guy's weird. She's probably like, he's on drugs. Something like that. She probably thought he was a bit strange. It probably put her off even more. We get stuck in that Christian language sometimes, I think. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband back. It's a leaping conversation. I wonder why she did, he did, Jesus did that from water to husband. I have no hun- husband, she replied, verse 17. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. What do you do when somebody points something out that makes you feel awkward? This was, this was the thing she didn't want to talk about. Okay? What do you do? I don't know about you, so my wife might come to me and say, Josh, you've, um, you've put on a little bit of weight. And I would be like, oh, isn't Sophie growing up? Don't you miss newborns? Aren't they so cute? Do you think we should have another baby? Deflected. Managed to get her to stop thinking about my weight, and we've moved into a whole new conversation. This is what this lady does. She changes the subject. She deflects. Sir, the woman said, this is verse 19, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus was hitting on the major point in the woman's life, probably her biggest insecurity, and she tries to divert. We all do this. She perceived Jesus to be a prophet and so brought up probably the most contentious issue between Jews and Samaritans. She was very deliberately trying to get out of the conversation she was originally in. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit And in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. He's revealed himself as Messiah. The object of worshipping in spirit and in truth is sitting in front of you. It's me. The disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then his disciples, verse 27, returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asks, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? My guess is that their body language and probably what they were saying with their eyes did something in that moment. Because immediately this lady left. Verse 28, she left the reason she came. She left her jar and she went back to town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. God's primary concern is that you know him and that he knows you. God wants to know you. This leads to being able to worship him in spirit and in truth, which is our main theme for today. Sure, God wants to help you, but first of all, first and foremost, he wants to know you relationally. This is why God sent himself as Jesus, to know you relationally. It's God's primary passion for humanity. And how do we do that? We do that through the Holy Spirit in us. But who can know this type of worship? Who can access this spirit? I believe that this story points us to something that is, a, is good news for all of us this evening, that it's for anyone. Who is it for? It's for anyone. We can, anyone can worship in spirit and in truth. Anyone can accept the Holy Spirit to be part of their lives by deciding to go on a journey of knowing Jesus. Jews did not relate to Samaritans, and they certainly did not relate to Samaritan women. We've got to understand that this woman that Jesus was with was even rejected by the women of Samaria. She was a lost cause. 
Last week, Tim spoke to us about Nicodemus, probably the opposite of this lady, somebody well-respected, sought after, somebody who people would have looked up to, thought was incredibly intelligent, all these different things. It's interesting that we get these two parallels in John 3 and John 4 of who's included, of who Jesus is willing to speak to. Now, it doesn't really matter on their response, but Jesus is going to them. And in this passage, Jesus revealed himself, I said earlier, as the Messiah. We've got to consider who he's saying this to. Quite possibly the lowest person on the totem pole in this ancient landscape, a Samaritan and a woman. Probably the, one of the top five worst relationally in the New Testament. Do you think it's an accident that God expresses his desire for relationship, for true worshippers, through a lady, a person who is in that category? Somebody who's, especially as they would have been looked on by society, had lost it so much. So who can do it? Who has access to worshipping in spirit and in truth? Anyone. That's me and that's you. Even if you consider yourself to be a lost cause, beyond help, too deep in sin, too deep in bondage and guilt, too far gone. This lady was an outcast for her choices. And this lady was chosen by Jesus to show the depth of his grace, how far he includes all the way anyone. On the sheets, that, uh, on the back as well, you can make some notes on this if you want. That was, that's our first point. The Holy Spirit is for anyone. The next question I want to look at is, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Let's reread verse 23 and 24 together, also on the sheets. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Worshipping in spirit and truth is a heart and a head worship. It's engaging first our heart and passion for Jesus in spirit and engaging with the in-truth part, being informed about the God that we worship. The best combination of both aspects of worship result in a joyous appreciation of God informed by the Bible. So maybe some keys. We should be open to the Spirit's leading. In spirit, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. The in-truth, God's gift to us through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the truth. We can be informed by scripture. In both of these things, we can draw upon God. Fully, every area drawing from him, finding satisfaction in Jesus. In some ways, we all fall short of this, to obtain and live in all God has for you. Worshipping in spirit and in truth gives access to all God has for us. Worshipping in spirit and truth is about living life in all of its fullness, the way that God intended but we, we fall short of this. We draw upon different things to try and find our satisfaction. We draw upon different areas to find acceptance, to find security, to find significance, to find love, or whatever it might be. What was this Samaritan woman drawing on? She was drawing from the wrong place or the wrong well, if you will. Finding her identity and worth in the arms of man after man. So what are the barriers to us worshipping in spirit and in truth? What do we need to remove from our thinking, our actions, our lives to be able to truly worship in spirit and in truth? You know, the language of wells in the Bible is a, this is is a literal well here, and it's talking about water, something that we need, something that we need to live. And actually this this metaphor is saying that actually what what we need to what we need to be drawing is something that we that we need to live. And actually this living water that Jesus is talking about is something that we need, but we so often try and find it somewhere else. We tr- so often try and draw from other wells to find our satisfaction. So what may be some wrong wells that we might be 
drawing from instead of turning to God? Well, well, number one could be sex and relationships. Desire's not intrinsically wrong. They're gifts from God. But what humanity does, what I, I know I do, and I dare say some of you guys do as well, is that we can pervert these things. We elevate them beyond their assigned purpose. We leave ourselves open to disappointment and heartache. This is the world the Samaritan woman would have identified with most, I think. Women, maybe you're looking for a perfect man, polite, always thoughtful, leaves rose petals everywhere that you go, clean, well-kept, liked by your mum, funny, understanding, intuitive, brings food around, smoking heart but doesn't know it, gives you his full attention without scrolling through fantasy football on his phone. I know what you're thinking, enough about yourself, Josh. I'm joking. But joking aside, whether you're married, single, or dating, we all have the temptation to put our hope in the perfect idea of what somebody of the opposite sex might be for us. We all have the temptation to put our hope into, into a person, into the hope of a relationship, into the hope of marriage or whatever it might look like. And actually, however amazing that person is, there's going to be a point where they're not enough. However amazing that person is, there's going to be a point where they let you down. We need to draw from the well that won't let us down, that will satisfy We need to draw from Jesus. What are the other worlds? We can go for things like money and comfort. We go from one gadget to the next. We go from one new trend to the next. We go from new thing to new thing. And we keep drawing from the well, clothes, house, car, promotion. It all feels good for a while. But eventually we realize that it's it's not enough. The well of money and comfort will do that. It will take us down a path and then we'll realize we're somewhere we don't want to be. The third well could be respect and success. We all want people to like, as I know that I do. want people to think that I'm great, to think that we've done great. But a pat on the back is fleeting. When Jesus extended the offer of water that would quench thirst once and for all, he was offering affirmation, acceptance, and approval that goes far beyond what any human can give. God knew how imperfect you would be, but he died for you anyway. And if we define our worth by what somebody is willing to pay for us, we need to look at what God did in sending Jesus and redefine our worth. Because God decided we were, we were worth that much. What are maybe some of the other barriers that we put in the way of worshipping in spirit and in truth? Unconfessed sin. So not only do we have a tendency maybe to drink from wrong wells, but we often live with unconfessed sin or stuff that we haven't really dealt with, brought to light. In this story, the woman at the well, we see this example of a lady refusing to realize the impact of her sin. I have, a, I have a two-year-old. Sometimes I play hide-and-seek with her, or at least she doesn't really know that's what we're playing, but that is what we're playing. She goes and hides behind this curtain, uh, and she, she, I'll go, Sophie, I'm very good at acting. I go, Sophie, where are you, Sophie? Oh, Sophie, where have you gone? And then the big reveal will happen, and the curtain will burst open, and toddler Sophie will come out, and I'll go, oh, there you are. I had no idea. I knew the whole time. I watched her go in, and then when she came out, but so often we make the same mistake with God. We ignore the things that we do that are on the edge, or we pretend that he is not all-knowing or not all-seeing. We don't like the idea that he knows everything about us, so we find ourselves in this hot-cold relationship with God, all because we've lost sight of the gospel and its implications. We don't give ourselves fully to God. We're putting a barrier in the way. We need to make a choice to believe in the majesty of a loving, forgiving God. How can we rejoice in the worship of a loving and forgiving God if we don't put legs to that, in our own lives. 
Worship in spirit means believing the truth of the gospel, that it's grace, it's grace, and it's grace. Coming to him with the weight of the sin and shame that we're carrying and saying, have it all, not just the bits that are maybe easier to deal with. Have it all. Maybe ignorance or, or apathy. In verse 20 and 22, Jesus corrects ignorance in this lady when she asks him a question. We try and tell ourselves that God is somehow not bothered about our sin or we try and change the subject. Jesus confronts the woman at the well to remind her that secrecy is a myth, that God has known our sin and yet he still chose to extend his mercy and his grace to us through the cross. The picture we build of Jesus of some sort of airy-fairy wish-granter But actually, this doesn't line up with who he is as a deity, as as the son of God. It strips him of his power and authority if we start to look at him like that. When we realize who Jesus is, the son of God, it opens us up to worship him in spirit and in truth to a whole new level. Let's not let ignorance and apathy stop us from recognizing who we're worshiping. When we realize who we worship and that our worship is in the spirit and truth, it can become expectant. It can become excited about what God is going to do, about where God is going to break in. Because if he's the son of God, then he can and he, and he will. So how do we draw upon God? By learning the in-truth part, opening the Bible. Making sure that we draw on God and are supported and support others in doing the same. I wonder if we're going through something, so say you're anxious and actually you've, you've begun to open your Bible and you've begun to look at what it says. You're feeling anxious, so the Bible says don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, bring your requests before God. I don't think I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The more we know, the more we can counter those times when we're feeling rubbish or we're feeling down or we're feeling stressed with the truth of his word. Opening ourselves up to the in-spirit part. Allowing God to speak to us with fresh revelation backed up by the truth of Scripture. Speaking to our our hearts directly about the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we draw upon God for and through each other. When was the last time you encouraged somebody with a prophetic word or a word of encouragement? When was the last time that you offered prayer to a friend just, just because? Going to connect group. Opening the Bible with other Christians. How do we draw upon God? We give him space to speak. Exercise the gifts that we've been given. Come here on a Sunday. Let go in, in sung worship. Don't do the first two songs as a warm-up. And then go in. Be here. Be present. Be engaging with what the words are saying. And saying, well, actually, is this my heart cry? And if it's not saying, God, I don't feel it, but I want to. I'm here and I want to know you. It's about being intentional. Pushing down with deep roots. Maybe listening to some podcasts. There's some great sermons here. There are. Listen to those. Some great sermons in other places as well. Listen to those. Deep roots. On your sheets, the, the last point. The Holy Spirit is for anyone. Point number one. We've unpacked a little bit of what it might look like to worship in spirit and in truth. And the last one is that the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Something about being intentional. Let's read a few verses that happen a bit later in John 4. It's verse 39 to 42. It says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And this is interesting. Verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour. Of the world. There's something about being intentional 
when we know Jesus. There's something about recognizing that if it's for anyone, then there's no one we can't talk to. And if it's for everyone, then we have a responsibility to be part of telling whoever our everyone is. If we want to see every life bearing fruit for Jesus, we need to go to action. The woman at the well's experience led her to action, and she saw half a city saved. They said, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but we now know for ourselves. And that's an important model, an important thing to think about. Yes, we can be a part of somebody's journey, but ultimately they need Jesus. But are we willing to bring people to him? When we meet Jesus like this, it should lead to action, to wide shoots in our society, the love and depth of relationship formed by being a true worshiper in spirit and in truth leads us to want to share. He knew everything about me. Come and see the man. There's something about being intentional that everyone needs to hear. Are you sharing? Maybe you're sitting there saying, well, God can't, can't use me, Josh. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what's happening in my life at the moment. You know this lady, she had a whole lot of reasons that God probably shouldn't or maybe couldn't have used her, and yet he did. He used her, and he can use you. The state of her heart had shifted. Was she sorted? Probably not. Was it all, all okay, all better? Probably not. We might not be perfectly living out the worshiping in spirit and truth thing. We might have a whole load of wells that we're drawing from that aren't God. We might have a whole load of barriers that we've put up in the way of worshiping in spirit and in truth. He can still use you. I wonder, do you want to take that first step today to worshiping in spirit and truth? We're saying, I'm standing here at the well and I'm thirsty. I want to be somebody who worships in spirit and in truth. I want that to dictate what's happening around me, how I live my life, how I respond to God, how I connect with him, how I connect with, each other, with other people. That's available tonight.